Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. This month, which is the month of June, is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. With that in mind, today's episode is going to be about advocating for the for Alzheimer's caregivers. So today, my guest is Governor Martin Schreiber, where he talks about his book, My Two Elaines, and his experience as an Alzheimer's caregiver. So a little bit more about Marty. Governor Martin Schreiber grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, inspired by his father's example as a member of the Wisconsin State Assembly and the Milwaukee Common Council, Martin ran for public office even before he had completed law school. In 1962, he was elected as the youngest ever member of the Wisconsin State Senate. He was elected lieutenant governor in 1970 and in 1977 became the 39th governor of Wisconsin. He recently retired from his public affairs firm in Milwaukee and is now an advocate for Alzheimer's caregivers. His new book, My Two Elaines, Learning, Coping, and Surviving as an Alzheimer's Caregiver is out today. So you can go to over to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. We've got the link for his book. So if you or someone you know is affected by Alzheimer's, I highly recommend this book. Uh, Marty talks about his experience caring for his wife. He's got some great advice and he shares it all in today's podcast. So a big thanks to Governor Schreiber for coming on and everyone. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hi, Governor Schreiber. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time out today to come on and talk about Alzheimer's disease which we are in the month of June. It is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. So I thank you for coming on and sharing your story and experience. Well, thanks, Karen. I want you to know that I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be with you uh, because there's just so much important information that people should be aware of relative to Alzheimer's disease, both for the person who is ill and also for the caregiver. Yeah, absolutely. And now many people listening to this podcast may know you for your service to the people of Wisconsin and the state Senate, then you were lieutenant governor, and ultimately the 39th governor of Wisconsin. So like I said, today, you're here to talk about Alzheimer's. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing as an advocate for Alzheimer's caregivers and kind of how and why this is personal for you and how you found yourself here? Well, there's, um, I tell you, if if I go, my wife Elaine is now in her 18th year since diagnosis. And if you and I go back 18 years, at that time, this disease could not be cured, delayed, or prevented. 18 years have gone by and this disease still cannot be cured, delayed, or prevented. So what happened was, because I didn't understand this disease, I made life more miserable for my dear wife who was losing her memory. I made life more difficult for myself as well as for many other people 
because I didn't understand this disease. And so I conclude now that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. And when I say ignorance of the disease, I don't mean ignorance of the disease just simply by lay people, but I'm talking even the medical profession. I'm talking even caregivers themselves. I'm talking about churches and congregations and temples and so on. There is just not an awareness of this disease as it relates to how it should be dealt with because you can't fight it, you can't beat it. And so if we can learn a little bit more about it, we have a better chance of having our loved one with the disease living their best life possible. But also we have the chance of having the caregiver also receive their best opportunity of living their best life possible. Yeah. And you wrote about this in a new book that is published this month in June called My Two Elaines. So you depict your wife, your wife's battle with with Alzheimer's. And, you know, like you said, this disease is progressive and the person definitely transforms from probably the person you knew into into maybe someone else. So can you talk about how you dealt with that as as her husband and, and as the main caregiver? Well, first, I dealt with it very badly, ex- extremely poorly. And because of that, we missed out on many moments of joy. What I tried to do in the beginning, because I didn't understand this disease, what I tried to do was to keep her in my world. No, Elaine, it didn't happen on a Wednesday. It happened on a Thursday. It wasn't the Joneses. It was Finally, I got the understanding that it is important for me to join the world of the person who now is. And one of the most difficult, difficult challenges that any caregiver has, but which has to happen, is what I would call the pivot. And the pivot is when the caregiver gets to the point where you let go of this person who once was. So you can now embrace and help the person who now is. Because if we don't, first of all, because this disease is incurable at this time, you cannot fight it. There is nothing you can do. And I found out that all of the navies sailing and all of the armies marching and all of the liquor that's, that's distilled and all of the beer that's brewed is not going to stop this disease. And so rather than how do we fight this disease, the question is how can we fight to give our loved one their best life possible? And so within that framework, then uh, there's a a number of things that is important for for us to understand um, about this disease and for us to understand about the challenge of, of caregivers. So as I said, one of the the things I learned was to join Elaine's world. Then another uh, uh, thing that I learned was the importance of what I call therapeutic fibbing. And again, uh, well, here, let me me just back up before we go into therapeutic fibbing. If we can envision a funnel, and if we put the small part of our funnel by your eye, and of course, because the funnel expands as you look up, you can see the blueness of the sky and the hope of tomorrow. But what happens is, as the disease 
takes its course, that funnel becomes inverted. And now the large part will be by your eye and you look out and all you see is a little bit. That then becomes the world and the life of the person who now is. They are not aware of what happened five minutes ago, five hours ago, maybe five years ago, nor are they concerned or aware of what can happen five minutes from now, five hours from now, or five years. So it's, it's a different world. Now, when I wrote this book, I felt really proud of myself that I had finally put some of this into perspective. And lo and behold, before we're ready uh, to go on for print, I find a series of notes and diaries that Elaine had been keeping since her diagnosis. Well, I want you to know that we had prayed together and we had cried together, but never did I understand the courage that it takes to be diagnosed with this illness and then to continue forward. So as Elaine is going through this transition, and now we are, here we get the therapeutic fibbing. As Elaine is going through this, this transition, uh, this journey, she asked me once, how are my parents? Oh, I said, Elaine, your parents are both dead. The shock on her face when she realized maybe she didn't say goodbye, uh, the shock on her face, maybe even not attend the funeral. I promised myself I would never put her through that again. So then when she asked me the next time, she said, how are my parents? Oh, I said, Elaine, I said, your mom is just really doing well. She likes uh, working at church and volunteering. Your dad likes his sports. Elaine said, that makes me feel so happy. Well, that's therapeutic fibbing. Therapeutic fibbing, joining the world of the person who now is. Now, I want you to know that I tried this therapeutic fibbing the first year of my marriage, but it didn't work so good then, but certainly at this moment in time. But then another experience to, to, to give you a sense of, of this all, uh, be, be, when Elaine still was able to be mobile, uh, we were having lunch at the assisted living memory care and we're talking and then she starts to cry. I said, Elaine, why are you crying? Well, she said, I, I'm beginning to love you more than your husband. Well, I didn't ask her what's wrong with your turkey husband. I didn't do that. But I tell you what I learned. I learned that it is not necessary for her to know my name in order for our hearts to touch. And so many times as I talk with caregivers, they become initially so distraught about the fact that their loved one may be married for 50, 60 years, children, so forth, that the person with Alzheimer's does not remember their name. I would tell them, understand that your loved one's mind is broken. And sometimes there's no more of a chance to have our loved one remember our name than a person with a broken leg winning an Olympic championship a gold medal. And so... We, we, we just simply have to understand the importance of joining the world of this person who now is. One, one of the challenges of, of caregiving, and there are a number of them, but one of the challenges of caregiving is that uh, you work so hard to try and help your loved one. Well, here, let me, let me just back up a little bit here. So 
we go back 18 years. The first Elaine, that was the girl I met when I was a freshman in high school. I fell in love right away. We dated and we went steady and we got uh, uh, engaged and we got married and four children and 13 grandchildren, now seven great-grandchildren. That was the first Elaine. I would run for public office. She would be the hardest working campaigner. Uh, if I would lose, she would never let me feel defeated. She was everything in the world to me as it relates to any good thing that happened. The second Elaine began to appear, as I said, some 18, 19 years ago, when she would get lost driving to and from places she had been going to and from for the past 10 years. The second Elaine began to appear when as a great cook, she messed up her recipe so bad that she would cry. She would be so embarrassed. So that was the beginning of the second Elaine. So now we get this diagnosis and um, I took a marriage vow till death to us part. I'm going to do all these things. And when Elaine was first diagnosed, um, she was uh, given the mental mini test. And basically the mental the mental mini test uh, is a simple test asking, for example, what day it is, um, uh, when is your birthday, uh, so forth. Very simple questions. And uh, if you scored 30 or above, you would be considered okay, pretty normal. If you scored 30 or below, what the situation would be um, is that maybe you had signs of early onset. Well, Elaine's test score at that point was 28. They say that the average person loses four to five points going down almost uh, every year. And it doesn't happen you know, arithmetically from 28, 27, 26, 25, 24, it may stay at 28 for a while, then maybe drop down to a 25 and then stay at that point, then maybe drop down to a 21 and so forth. Well, what is important here is that Elaine tested out first at a 28, you lose four to five points every year, 18 years ago, it gives you a sense of where Elaine's life now is. But with that understanding, with the understanding that the menti, a mental mini test uh, goes down, what, what happens to the caregiver is you devote your time and your talent and your energy and your love to this person. And you just about think you have this answer. And then what happens is you wake up the next morning and it's a new challenge. Well, what am I doing wrong? So what happens then is you devote more time and more talent and more energy and you're okay for a while. And all of a sudden, no, so what am I doing wrong? And so I have seen many instances where caregivers develop this so significant guilt that they're not able to, to help their loved one, no matter how hard they work, what are they doing wrong. But here's the other aspect that comes along with it. Not only the self-questioning about what am I doing wrong, but the caregiver is also going through a type of depression and also what I would call an unacknowledged grieving. 
So I had a, a dear friend who retired and enjoying retirement, uh, had dinner one night, laid down on the couch to watch uh, the baseball game. Tragically, he died, massive heart attack, just gone. Well, there was a funeral and friends stopped by to express their sympathy, to acknowledge the, the passing of this, of this wonderful person. And there was closure. So what happens in the life of a caregiver is that there never is closure. You see your loved one dying a little bit every day. You begin to feel just so horrible about your guilt not being able to do anything, but you're also getting to the point where you're, you're saying, my, 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 my loved one is, is, is leaving me. And then that, that uh, grieving, you know, just does, is not acknowledged. And that's really one of the challenges that caregivers have to face. And that is to face up to the fact that yes, you are going to be grieving and you should acknowledge the fact that you're going through this grieving at this moment in time. Then there's also the depression that comes with it. And uh, knowing what is the future and worrying about that also breeds anxiety. And so you take the guilt, you're not doing enough, you're not maybe getting enough sleep, you're not necessarily going for the walk, you're not getting uh, any visit with friends because you're focusing and focusing and focusing. Well, I try and have caregivers understand one of the most important facts about this disease, and that is you cannot do it alone. I do not believe, well, first of all, we men are sometimes really stupid. Um, you know, we're not going to ask for directions because we know it all. You know, I was going to take care of Elaine and so forth. And I let my ego, my own self-centered passion to, disease, to defeat this disease, I let that take control over what was really best for Elaine. Mm -hmm. Because I did that, uh, we really messed up on some, uh, some great moments of joy. And um, at the time of diagnosis, the doctor said there were four things uh, that we should be doing. Uh, one of them was uh, two drugs, drugs called the Menda and Aricep. They do not stop the disease. They just simply delay the symptoms. So that was point number one. Point number two, socialization. You do should do socialization continuing. And then also getting exercise, going for a walk, for example. And then also a glass of red wine every evening. Well, Elaine got three weeks ahead in the glass of red wine every evening and four weeks behind in, in, in the walking. But here, here is the, 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 the situation about not joining the life and the world of this person who now is. So I knew we should go for a walk. So in my mind, a half an hour walk is sufficient. So we started walking. Elaine would say, oh, look at that flower. Come on, Elaine, you've got to get this. Oh, you know, or look at the bird. No, come on, Elaine. And so my focus was not, not on the here and the now. 
my focus was getting this walk done so I could go about some other type of, uh, of activity, whether it's uh, trying to work with my business at the same time and so forth. And the lesson here is Alzheimer's is a tragic disease. We can't cure it, but we certainly can learn to live better with it. And so had I known then what I know now, I would have stopped with Elaine and we would have, we would have admired that flower, watched the bird. Uh, we would have even maybe even uh, just stood in the sunshine for a while and felt the warmth of, uh, of the day. So uh, the life of a caregiver is extremely challenging. We have to know that we can't do it alone. We have to understand that it, if, we, if you want to show real courage and real manliness, that is shown by asking for help. So, uh, gosh, I think you asked a question a while back, and I think that that was about maybe three days ago, and I'm still... <laughs> well, I think, I think what you have done is you're, as you were speaking, I said, okay, I was going to ask that. I, was, I wanted to talk about that. But I think what you did do is you really clearly laid out some real big challenges that caregivers have to face and some really great lessons that you've learned that you've passed along. And I know that those lessons are um, some practical takeaways in the book in sections called kind of what you said, what I wish I'd known or what I would have done differently. But it sounds to me like if you're a caregiver, you need to check your ego at the door. You need to be present with the person. You need to join their world. And, and it may perhaps be a more pleasant or at times maybe a happier existence for not only the caregiver, but for the person living with Alzheimer's as well. And, you know, as someone who, like we'd spoken before we went on the air, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and I, I can only assume my parents feel the same way that you're feeling now that we used to always correct, correct, correct her when in fact, we just should have said, where's, where's your grandfather? Oh, he'll, he'll be home in a little while. Instead of saying, no, he died 15 years ago. And then, like you said, it just can make the patient agitated and confused. And um, if you want to continue to have those happy times, it's best to be in their world. So I think you really outlined that uh, very, very well. And I do want to go back to something that you touched upon, but didn't go into great detail. And that is um, Elaine's journal. Now you, you put this into the book, some of her excerpts where she detailed her feelings and emotions as she was struggling with this diagnosis. So why was that important to include those? And were there anything in those journals that surprised you? Uh, there were a number of things. First, first of all, I, I wanted to put Elaine's words into the book. I wanted to do that. So so caregivers and their families would understand this great in, internal turmoil, being diagnosed with it, but still knowing your mind, then having my, your mind sort of slip. As I said, you go from a 28 score, maybe down to a 26 score, but you still think you're sort of all right, but then some days you're not all right. But um, with her journals, 
as I said, I learned the courage that it takes to be diagnosed with this disease and continue forward. But I also learned, we, we talked about the pivot where the caregiver gets to the point of letting go of this person who once was to join the world of the person who now is. The person with Alzheimer's also has a pivot and it's almost by the grace of God. And that pivot is when the, the person with Alzheimer's finally leaves the real world and enters their own world. And uh, I've, I've got, um, well, let, let me just read one or, one or two of her, of her excerpts that are, of course, in the book. But I, I wanted to make sure that the reader would understand the, the challenges that, that a person has with Alzheimer's, but also how important I was in her life as her lifeline. And I really didn't know that. And I think that if a caregiver understands how important they are as a lifeline to their loved one, they will take better care of themselves. And I was lacking sleep. I was lacking exercise. I wasn't eating well. I was, my, my, my daughter, Christine, gave me an article on moderate drinking, and it wasn't because she thought I was drinking too little. That's for sure. So, but anyway, so with, with her excerpts, I, I want to give you um, just, just a few examples of, of what, what she's going on. So uh, she, she starts off when she was sort of diagnosed, she wrote a letter to her dear loved ones, and she writes, it wasn't until a few weeks ago that I really had to say, yes, I do have Alzheimer's. I had read of signs that indicate Alzheimer's, like getting overly upset for no reason and having trouble with names and directions, but I still didn't think it was a problem for me. But in hindsight, for too long, I've been getting lost driving, having trouble keeping days straight, and difficulties with names and schedules. Still, I still felt I could handle it. It won't get worse. But this morning, I started reading about the mid-stage of Alzheimer's in hopes of preparing myself better and realized I'm not very far away. That is most scary, but I have to accept it. And so also in some of these pages, she talks about how important I was to her life. She said, please take care of yourself for me as well as for you. So then, you know, and again, she is in the process of, of, of losing her memory. And she's in the process of getting to this pivot where she loses the reality of life and goes into her world. But to, to give you a sense of, of, of the tugging that's going on within in her, she, she writes this, she writes, I am not enjoying my role anymore as Marty's wife because of his having concerns about my Alzheimer's. He doesn't let me be me. He doesn't let me go for a walk if I want to or to the store alone. I used to appreciate him, what I thought was concern, but he holds me captive much too much. I'm going to try to have a second opinion because I really don't think I have any problem. I know how to drive or walk any place I want to, but he doesn't believe me. And I hate the control he has placed on me. I don't even think I have Alzheimer's per se. And so we, we, we see that. And again, my, my, we, we, we see a human being going through that kind of turmoil. And we think we could have done a better job. Or I think I know I could have done a better job. And, and because of that, I wanted to write the book 
so that I could help caregivers learn, cope, and survive. Just I want to just read one one more here. That, sure. Um, that, I, I don't have the exact date on this one here, but she writes, I wish my Alzheimer's would dissipate. I'd like to be the smart wife and mother I used to be. Now I have to waste so much time just trying to figure out what I should be doing without seeming as smart as I used to be. I need to rely on Marty for everything. And I'm very lucky he continues to keep me. Life gets more difficult every day. So it's, it's, it's a bummer of a disease. And um, again, we, we can't beat it. We can't fight it. It's, it's not curable at this moment in time. It can't be delayed, can't be prevented. And so what we want to do is fight with our best weapons possible, and that is to better understand the disease and better understand the world to which our loved one is passing into so we can help them on their journey as much as possible. And, you know, according to the Alzheimer's Association, more than 6 million Americans live with Alzheimer's or dementia, and more than 11 people are their unpaid caregivers. So how can people listening right now support those who are caring for Alzheimer's patients and support the patients as well? One of the best things and most important things I think a friend or family member or neighbor can do for a caregiver, number one, simply acknowledge what they're going through. And that acknowledgement in and of itself is uh, so important um, because people really don't understand. One, and because people don't understand Alzheimer's, they, they shy away from it. Now, I call Alzheimer's not a chicken casserole disease. So hypothetically, I get an operation of my, you know, maybe a heart operation. And so I come home and I'm laid up. People will bring me a chicken casserole. Uh, I fall and I break a hip. I'm recovering. They'll bring me a chicken casserole. Alzheimer's. People don't bring chicken casserole. We, a person, a caregiver and, and a spouse, may have had friends that they did many things over a period of 30, 40 years together as the children would grow up. And, and let's just assume hypothetically that uh, it would be camping and canoeing. So for 30, 40 years, they, the families did this together and the, and the children grew up and so forth. And that was the bind holding them. That was the binding thing for them. So what happens is now the spouse gets Alzheimer's and because the friends don't know about the disease, they don't know how to handle it and they withdraw. As they withdraw, the caregiver not only is trying to deal with this depression, this anxiety, uh, the, the, the grieving, uh, the guilt, now the caregiver is also feeling abandoned, abandoned by friends at one of the most challenging times. So if you want to help uh, any caregiver or even work on creating a dementia-friendly community, we have to understand this disease and have to understand how we can best deal with the disease. But then rather than saying, um, call me if you need help, because we caregivers won't do that, um, 
What we will do, however, is respond by someone saying, oh, maybe I could um, pick up medicines from the drugstore, or maybe I could go shopping for you, or maybe, in other words, specific kinds of things, uh, maybe even taking uh, the person who is ill for a walk so that the caregiver can get some, some respite. But uh, as I said, if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse, and ignorance of the disease by the medical profession, caregivers, as well as family, friends, and neighbors. And if people can just simply hopefully better understand this disease, I think at that point, they can be more helpful in people living their best lives possible. Yeah, and thank you for that advice. I think that's wonderful advice for people that are, you know, in the community and in the sphere of people living with Alzheimer's. And I also want to mention that there is support online at alz.org, and that's provided through the Alzheimer's Association or by phone at 800-272-3900. So if people are looking for more resources, they can find them there as well. And of course, your book, let's talk about that. My Two Elaines, Learning, Coping, and Surviving as an Alzheimer's Caregiver, uh, releases June 13th. So we're perfectly uh, within that Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And people can get the book, I'm assuming, wherever books are sold. That's my understanding. <laughs> I would assume wherever books are sold, and it's printed through Harper Horizon, which is an imprint within HarperCollins. Um, and I, one last question regarding the book, and this is a more personal question for you, is it, upon writing the book, did it give you time to reflect and did it feel cathartic for you? Did it give you any sense of closure around your living with a person living with the disease? It certainly was cathartic with, without a question. Uh, but I think that uh, one, one of the main things I got from this book is how much I wanted to do something to help other people not go through what I as a ignorant caregiver went through. And also what I might be able to do to help caregivers help their loved one with, with dementia live their best lives possible. And uh, be, because I think back again uh, on our past 18 years, and I think how it could have been easier, as difficult as it was, it could have been easier. And it, it's not a matter of getting enough money to fly to the moon and back. It's, it's a matter of just simply understand some some, some basic factors and, and uh, dealing with some uh, unknown quantities. But uh, no, it was, uh, it was quite an experience to write that book. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to do it. And I'm, I wanna tell you that I'm grateful for, for being able to talk about this and, and also grateful that I think hopefully we're gonna be able to help some more caregivers learn, cope, and survive. Perfect. And where can people find you? Let's say they have questions, they want to talk to you, they want to get in touch with with you. What is the best way to do that? Uh, we have uh, a, a website. I, that's right. My two Elaine's all one word dot com. And uh, gosh, uh, anything. And and I have been up until COVID uh, giving talks around the country learning uh, and uh, really everything that I shared with you 
about what caregivers go through. Uh, I can tell you whether it's it's New York, uh, Minnesota, Florida, uh, St. Louis, I don't care where it is. That is just simply an overlay of almost every single caregiver as how they're trying to cope with this disease. So, but, and I also wanted uh, to mention, you gave the 800 number for the Alzheimer's Association. That's a 24 seven number. And so there are gonna be some moments where you're just not going to be able to figure out how am I gonna cope with this? Well, if you give them a number, I mean, give them a call, uh, they will be able to help uh, either give you an answer or point you in the right direction. Perfect. And before we wrap things up, I have one last question. It's a question I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is knowing where you are now in your life and given your illustrious career, what advice would you give to your younger self? And that maybe that younger self was that freshman in high school when you met your wife, or maybe it was in the midst of your being the governor. What advice, knowing where you are now, would you give to yourself as a younger man? Live in the moment. And, uh, you know, it's not only the fact that I didn't enjoy looking at the bird with Elaine. Uh, it's probably the fact that I was too busy to take time to enjoy playing ball with my sons or too busy to take time to go to the museum with my daughters and, you know, uh, just, you know, being with them, but really my mind is someplace else worrying about some other kind of thing over which I probably had no control over anyway. But I think to, to, to live in and understand and grasp and appreciate and be thankful for the moment. I think that is wonderful advice. Well, Marty, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, sharing this book with us. And so everyone, again, the book is called My Two Elaines. It is sold everywhere where books are sold. So I highly encourage you, especially, and I'm going to say this, especially for people in the healthcare profession. I'm a physical therapist, a lot of physical therapists listening to this. I think especially for those people, because oftentimes we're with the patient but we're not with the caregiver. And I think it's really important to get a full view of what the what life is like for everyone surrounding this patient. So I highly encourage you to go out and get this book and read this book. So Marty, thank you so much for coming on. Karen, I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, one, one thing uh, as, as, we, as we sort of part company here, um, when I talk about joining the world of this person who now is, to make sure that caregivers as well as healthcare professionals know and understand clearly that you cannot argue with this disease. If when I took Elaine to daycare and we would drive up to the door and she said that she's not going in, there was no way that I would be able to with wild horses drag her out of that car so she could go into, you know, the, the daycare. And so it's a matter of redirection. So we would drive around a little bit through some of the neighborhoods, come back, here we are, and she would do that. Uh, sometimes we would be at dinner and she would reach across the table and grab someone else's wine glass. That's not yours, put it down. No, 
It's Elaine, thanks for finding that wine glass. If you wouldn't have grabbed it, it would have fallen off. And now we're able to give Elaine a good feeling about being helpful, but at the same time, not creating an awkward situation. No, you can't have that scarf, it's not yours. Well, thanks for finding the scarf and so on. So anyway, Karen, I'm grateful to you for what you do. I know that you help out many people and uh, that's really special and an honor for me to be with you. Thank you. Well, thank you. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.